0: Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to His kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Today I'm going to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 27. Um, We've been on this journey with Jesus over the last three weeks and the last four times that we've been together. We've been walking with Jesus through the last moments of his life and through his death when we were together on Friday. On Good Friday, we walked through, through his death. But we know that the story of Jesus is not merely defined by his death. That the dying of Jesus is not the last chapter in the story. The faith that we have in a God is not just merely a faith in a God that would die for us. He did do that, but he did so much more than just that. And that's why the story that we have, have been on, this walk that we've been on, this journey that we've been on, has been called through death to life as we've journeyed through his death. But now we move on to the next part, the next chapter of the story as Jesus passes from death to life. And so we begin our time today in Matthew chapter 27. This is the last story and movement of Jesus's execution and his death. Jesus has just yelled out and breathed his last. Jesus is dead. He's died on a cross. And in verse 55, we get a detail of this moment that's going to be a through line through our time today. Who was there when Jesus died, watching, observing? Certainly the Roman soldiers, they were the ones that executed him. But verse 55 tells us about some others who were there. Verse 55 says, Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. So it says that there were many women who were there with Jesus. And then Matthew highlights the three in particular. He says, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, for many of us, this may be the kind of thing that we usually might just read past and just keep going. But I want to pause here for a moment because I think that there's something really significant to see here. First of all, I want to talk about what these women functionally are. See, we may not always talk about it like this, but because we don't allow ourselves to see it like this, but these women, they were disciples of Jesus. And there's a whole crew of them, we're told. Three are listed, but they we're told that they were three of, a part of a larger group of women. This verse, this verse tells us that they weren't just there for the moment, that they weren't just there for Jesus' crucifixion, but they had been following Jesus. They had been following him down from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. They had walked through everything that Jesus had gone through, and they are there with him as Jesus dies. They could see him and he could certainly see them. Now, juxtaposed against these women being there is who is not there. Who's not listed? Peter, Matthew, Andrew, James, Bartholomew, all of these disciples. Um, In the book of John, the Apostle Paul is highlighted that he was nearby when Jesus was killed. But even he who wrote the book highlights the specific group of women who were following Jesus. The, the male disciples have long since abandoned Jesus. They haven't been present for any of the execution. The circle of the twelve, Jesus' closest friends, they all bailed on Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Now, if you read through the book of Matthew, it is entirely up until this point And you wouldn't know that Jesus' disciples were a large co-ed group. But now we find out that that wasn't true all along. Jesus' followers were made up of men and women. And there's this specific group of women here that Matthew highlights that took on the responsibility of caring for Jesus. And that sense of duty and love and care for Jesus has carried them all the way to the foot of the cross, even when everyone else has left. They are the faithful ones, these female disciples. And these are the ones to which we owe thanks because without them, we wouldn't have these stories. Because of their eyewitness accounts, we know what happened. Where did the stories of Jesus' crucifixion come from? Not Peter, not Matthew. They weren't there. But these women, they were there. And Matthew highlights them, and he he highlights them because they're going to play a big role as we're going to see as we move through our text today. And so these women are there. They're watching Jesus die. But this is certainly not the first crucifixion that they have seen. Jesus was not the first Jewish man to be crucified by the Romans, and he was not the last. There were thousands before him, and, and there will be thousands after him. You see, Jesus was unique, but the way that he died was not unique. It was a horrible way to die. But the way that Jesus died was the fate of thousands of Jews before him and thousands of Jews after him. When the Romans sacked the city of Jerusalem 40 years after Jesus, a number of ancient historians tell us that the Romans crucified up to 500 people a day as Jerusalem was being burned and dismantled. Thousands of people died this way. And so what this moment represents is is these faithful women disciples of Jesus are there watching watching as Jesus died. Jesus died the fate of slaves and criminals and the innocent, just like they had seen happening on and off their whole life. It's a moment that represents how the world is, that the powers that be can just determine right and wrong however they want. And people like Jesus and lots of others get crushed by this machine. And so Jesus actually participates here. He is in solidarity with the suffering and oppression of his people before and after him. And so I wonder what's going through their minds as they are watching Jesus die. But for now, let's go to verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Here's another disciple that we've never met before. And we learn just two things about him. Where he's from, a place called Arimathea, and that he's rich. And that's interesting because you might walk away from Jesus' teachings about wealth and money and think, yeah, there's no chance for wealthy people. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to follow Jesus. But apparently camels walk through needles. Because here's a rich man. Now, apparently he wasn't on the road with Jesus. He lived in Jerusalem and he had lots of money. And at some point, he becomes a disciple of Jesus. And what does this wealthy follower of Jesus do? He uses his leverage and his wealth to bring honor to Jesus. Verse 58 says, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Now, you have to imagine that there's some some risk here. He's a wealthy, influential man in the city of Jerusalem, and he's asking for the body of a state-convicted criminal. He's officially associating himself with Jesus. There's some risk here for sure, but Joseph doesn't care. And in verse 59, we see that Pilate agrees. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock, and he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance, of the tomb and went away. Now he goes away, but the next verse tells us who doesn't go away. uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb. These women are still here. They can't stay away. They're following and observing everything and they just sit there opposite the tomb. And so that's the scene. Joseph has given Jesus this honorable burial and these women come and they stay with Jesus, even his body, even for every moment. And they see Jesus' body placed in the tomb and they see guys roll the stone in front of the tomb and it's over. Now we get some more behind the scenes in verse 62. It says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Go take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So, so they went away and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. They place a seal on the tomb and they place a guard, essentially making it impossible for someone to get into that tomb. So, so let's just stop and, and think here for a minute. You were one of these Marys. You've been following Jesus for years. You've left everything to follow Jesus. Mary Magdalene that is mentioned here in Luke tells us that Jesus healed her, that she had been oppressed by these evil spirits and Jesus drove them from her. They had seen Jesus heal others. They themselves had been healed. They have been transformed by his teachings and his grace and his mercy. He had this electric, beautiful, compelling version of the world and a claim about himself that he was God's son and that he was bringing God's kingdom and God's reign and he would invite people into this family of disciples, people who had never been included before and he would celebrate the kingdom of God with them. He taught these people that God cares about the sparrows and if he cares about them, how much more than you? He taught his disciples that however harsh the world could be, it would always be a safe place because of the father's love. And he taught about to love our enemies. This is their Jesus. He is beautiful. He is amazing. He is compelling. And now, this, he is dead. And so, what is going through their minds? Well, this was all very nice. They had their hopes up. Maybe the world was the kind of place that Jesus taught them about. And then it all shatters. He could save others, but, but he couldn't save himself, apparently. This is the headspace they're in. There's so much heartache here. They've watched him die. They've watched him get buried. Then they watched the powers that be do their very best to make sure that this Jesus movement is squashed and erased from history once and for all. And so they're, they're sitting there watching all of this happen. And they see the world and they realize, yep, this is it. This is is how the world is. It's a lot like how many of us feel right now in our lives, not being able to go out. Not being able to socialize the way we used to. Not being able to see friends and loved ones. Not, not being able to celebrate Easter today with family and have a big table full of people. Not being able to come to church. And not joyfully. But we look around at our lives and we think to ourselves, I guess, I guess this is just the way the world is now. It's nice to dream about the fact that it could be different. And Jesus helped them foster that dream. But for us right now, and in this moment, for the the women, this is just the way the world is. We've been brought back to reality. We live in a world where might makes right. We live in a world where people define good and evil the way they want to, where unbelievable pain and heartache and meaninglessness are just a fact of life. This is just what the world is. But this, my friends, is why our faith is so important. Because whatever this Christian message is, whatever it is that we preach, it's not a pipe dream and it's, it's not a pie-in-the-sky idea. The Christian story looks right in the face of the worst tragic evil our world knows and it actually embraces in it. It participates in it. Jesus died the death of a criminal, of a rebel, as an innocent man. And these women, what are they supposed to think? What are they supposed to do? I guess we'll go home and I'll learn how to cope. And and for many of us, this is what it means to be human. To just take on whatever life forces on us and to somehow learn how to cope. And for many of us, that's what we're dealing with right now. We're taking what life has forced upon us this time and this season that we're living in and we're just forced to learn how to cope. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to do something crazy. It is to, to choose to believe that the vision of the world that we have isn't actually the real world. It's real in that it happens, but it's not the most true and it's not the most real thing about the world, and it's certainly not where the world is heading. Why would you believe in a world of green and blue and purple when it all just looks gray right now? Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 begins like this. After the Sabbath on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, here's these women again, went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the tomb and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. (laughs) Okay. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Verse six, he is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. And this is interesting, because what does it say that they're feeling? Matthew tries to capture it with with two words to convey a single emotion. He says, yet afraid with joy, or yet yet afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. Fear and joy. They are terrified and full of joy. Not one than the other, both together. And then we come to to this most incredible, amazing moment where everything is changed, where where faith turns into reality, where where the story of the angel and reality meet, and suddenly everything becomes different. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, like it's just any other day. Essentially, Jesus says, hi. Most of our English translations will say greetings, but really it's just an informal greeting that he gives. Like the way we would say hi or or, hey. These women are absolutely blown apart by what happens. Their their brains are exploding just trying to process. They're terrified. They're filled with joy. They're running to go and tell other people and they they bump into Jesus and he's just like, hey. Hey. And then the rest of this verse tells us that they fall down at his feet. It says that they collapsed and they begin to worship him. It's the only thing that they can process to do. The only thing their brains can figure out to do is to worship. And then Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and and they will see me. And and that's it. That's the story. There's another story here about the guards and then they head up to Galilee and, and they meet up with Jesus, but that's it for the story of the resurrection of Jesus in Matthew. It's these women's experience. There's no, this is what this means, or or, here is why the world is different. The apostle Paul and Peter are going to expend their best energies trying to write and explore the significance and meaning of a risen Jesus. But Matthew just tells us this bare bones version of what happened. These women had just been experiencing a version of the world that is like what everyone thinks the world is. Death, pain, and loss. But then all of a sudden on Easter morning, this happens. Like all of a sudden you're going to have to rethink your life and your view of the world and, and what you see as truth. Rethink what kind of world am I living in? Because apparently this is the kind of world where the machines of selfishness and sin and injustice can just annihilate people. But suddenly, in a moment, in a flash, these women discover that these machines of sin and evil, they don't get the last word. These eyewitnesses saw a mutilated, executed, murdered man put into a tomb. They saw a stone rolled in front of it, sealing it forever. And they saw an angel, an angel in an empty tomb. And then they saw Jesus. And they meet him. And Jesus says, hi. And these women and the others, then for a month, hundreds of people experienced the resurrected Jesus. Their words, the whole world is turned upside down and the world is no longer what they thought it was. But at the end of the day, the takeaway is not just, oh, the world is a stranger place than I thought it was. Dead people don't always stay dead, apparently. But what this shows us is that no matter how much we think we know what kind of world we're living in, the world where Jesus of Nazareth gets annihilated and is dead, totally, and this world is totally unjust and corrupt. And that's the world we live in, where loss is normal, where someone who is super healthy and suddenly their heart gives out, or suddenly they've tested positive for for COVID-19, and there was no way to have seen it coming. It's a world with cancer that this is our world. But in this story, in the resurrection of Jesus, we are showing that as complete as that picture may seem for us, that that is in fact not the whole story. And it's not the end of the story. And so you and I, we come together as a church and we come from lots of different places and some of us are totally the walking wounded right now from how people are treating you, from how this social distancing and isolation has taken its toll on you. And what's happened to you in the last year or the last seven days. And you're very tempted to read the teachings of Jesus and say, Oh, what a nice idea. If only the world was was really like that. And some of us have major personal failures. Major moral failures. Integrity failures. Maybe ones that you keep doing and keep revisiting. and, And you have begun to say, This, this is who I am. This is the world I live in. And it's nice that Jesus could talk about victory over death. And Paul could say that there's hope for real change in life transformation. But I know my life and I know that this is just a pipe dream. But this story asks us to entertain the simple claim that that's not true. And that's not the way that the world is. And that's not the way that you really are. You and I, we're caught in a web of selfishness and evil. It's wrapped us all in. And we've all participated in the death of Jesus in one way or another. But this tells us, this story tells us, that not even our own failure and evil, even the selfishness and corruption of the world, even the worst that the world, the machines of this world can possibly do to us, it's not the last word. It's never the last word. Jesus has chosen to take responsibility for us and for the human condition and the human story. And he has shown us victory over it with his life and his love. There is hope for a new creation. There is hope for a new you. And it's not just a promise and it's not just an idea. It's not just something out there. It's, it's not just a figment of your imagination. It's real. It's real. It's a testimony of these faithful women. It's an empty tomb. It's Jesus showing up to these women on that day. And it's Jesus showing up in your life today. And it's Jesus saying, hi. And that changes everything. Because Jesus rose from the dead. It's time for the sleepers. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie and on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood, and that family includes you. We follow Jesus together, as family we
1: go.